1: chase thomas podcast. the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right hello and welcome back to another episode of the chase thomas podcast where i'm still the aforementioned chase thomas coming to you live from knoxville tennessee up there in new york city it's david vertsberger of sny david good afternoon sir how are you
2: doing well chase how about you
1: not too bad. Not too bad. A little bit too cold right now. It's one of those to this point where I'm just, I'm not all in on uh, the cold, the cold season. I'm I'm kind of out of it. And I didn't think I would be there at that point, but it's just, you don't want to do anything. Like, like after we record here, I'm going to take the, take Khaleesi, the dog to the park and run around for a little bit. But she's, she's got like three coats. She's just like a big wolf. Uh, So she's, she's all about it. I don't know. Are you a dog person? Cat person?
2: Oh, I love dogs. Big dog. Okay. person. Do you have a dog? absolutely hate cast no but it's it's in the plans it's in the okay. plans like what kind of dog uh well so i, I want like a bigger breed my mm-hmm. girlfriend wants a smaller breed so we okay. have a good compromise in which we'll just get one of each <laughs> and that way everyone's happy
1: how does she feel about this compromise of two dogs at the same time oh, she's with it 100% okay. on
2: board the more the merrier
1: there you go i like yeah. it I like it. Um, well, we're not only gonna talk about dogs, even though everybody would prefer us talk about dogs verts. Uh, because dogs are the best. Um, who also might be the best as of late? The New York Knicks Verts. Who could also um, be considered
2: a bunch of dogs the way they're playing out there. <laughs> playing like dogs. They got that dog in them.
1: About that. What <laughs> is flipped? Um, have they figured some stuff out that they were struggling with at the beginning of the year? Is it just a lineup? figuring stuff out for Tibbs like what's real and what's the what's been the biggest reason as to why the Knicks have flipped the script and look like a solid playoff team at this point
2: I I think a couple things uh, have come together for them Uh, first this whole run was sparked by a a rotation change made by Tom Thibodeau Uh, a lot of fans will argue that it's been some changes that had to have happened for a long time Mm -hmm. Uh, but essentially he, he really shortened the rotation down and and kept the two young guys that'll defend their butts off for the whole game, more or less. Um, Evan Fournier out, Derek Rose out. Uh, Cam Reddish is a young guy that, that defends, but it's, it's it's not often enough. So for the times that he's, he's not really consistent on that end, out. Um, and basically a combination with that and just some individual performances from Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, and RJ Barrett. I mean, all RJ Barrett less so he's been injured as of late, but, uh, Brunson and Randall just really stepped up and into their full full potential this year uh, on both ends. Uh, Randall's effort and jump shooting has been, you know, very much like twenty twenty one when he was an All NBA player. So all those things coming together, I, I think uh, the team's been allowed to to really click defensively by just having no weak spots. Um, Thibs' scheme is is really aggressive and kind of tough to to get down and and be able to make a lot of these sort of um digs and recovers uh uh, one one you know one pass away It's rather dangerous but but that's the way he sort of schemes it out to do but these guys can do it when they're playing hard and they're all athletic and young um and, and and on offense when they're just led by three 20 point scorers that can go get theirs whenever they want it's uh it's worked well
1: that's interesting, and I I love that you didn't mention Quentin Grimes after all that. No Quentin Grimes love on this podcast from Brooks. Oh, no. He hates he's Quentin Grimes.
2: He's he's a part of that 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 young core that came in. I mean, uh, Thibs has been trying to start him since the beginning of the year. I feel like, but he was hurt uh, to start, and then yeah, he, he once once he's gotten in there and and found his found his groove since he's been hurt. I mean, the numbers don't jump off the page. He's like something like eight ten points a game. It, it's you know he's shooting well. He's doing a little more on the inside, which is good, but it's just really his his defense and the little things he does, helping out on the wing rebounding. The Knicks weren't rebounding well to start the year, which is very unlike a Thibs team. And when you look at that roster, it doesn't really make sense. But you know, the wing rebounders have gone in and helped with that. Grimes has been a big part of that. Uh he's he's had a huge hand in everything the Knicks have done as of late.
1: Yeah, and I I wonder too, like through 30 games, Brunson, we talked about it a little bit, has he been easy for guys to because i mean a lot of these guys were on the team last year right one of the biggest differences is just trying to figure out how to play with jalen brunson being the the lead guy obviously it was all about julius randall last year and that did not uh go well um after two years ago with that playoff run which i can't seem to recall how it ended for those Knicks teams i for whatever reason i just can't Uh, place what happened in the 2021 playoff series I, i think
2: the Knicks missed the playoffs that year
1: OK, I uh, just want to check in on that one. But through 30-ish games, has Brunson been about what you expected? Who who has benefited the most from Jalen Brunson uh, being the lead guard in New York, do you think?
2: Um, I, I think i would say Julius Randle, uh, just mm. because he doesn't have to carry the team in quite the same way. It's not all him. The defensive pressure isn't all on him. Uh, I mean, whenever the defensive tension is on him, Brunson's such a good release valve because you can just toss him the ball and he'll create an easy shot. Mm. Uh, I mean, everyone's benefited when when you get. Uh, my expectations were we're getting like a twenty and seven guy. He was about mm. twenty and seven like per thirty six minutes. Or when you look at when Luca wasn't playing last season, he was about twenty and seven, and that's about what he's been on average. I mean, he he's had these huge scoring nights, forty points, thirty points, multiple nights. Uh, it feels like he could get a shot any night. It feels like he's had very few off nights, and when he's off, it, it just. It doesn't really take away from the team because he's defending hard. He's he's playmaking very well. Like people didn't think of him as a playmaker, but he's like very much a floor general, knows how to pace an offense, knows how to get guys their shots, knows when to sort of get away from the ball where he's comfortable because he's done that with Luka and he can spot up really well. Um and he can move without the ball really well. So it's kind of been a seamless fit. Uh, he's just he's outperformed my expectations really. I said 20 and seven, but it's been like a really consistent 20 and seven and big scoring nights and and the entire clutch offense whenever it's effective basically just runs around him so it, it i didn't think all-star right out of the gates you know joining the knicks but he's, he's played like an all-star right now
1: what do you think's the hardest thing for teams to figure out uh with brunson in clutch time
2: you know it's not I, I guess it's like a pick your poison thing like what do you want to mm-hmm. give up um how do you want to sort of guard him it's tough to switch out on him he'll 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 run through bigs or just do a couple dribble moves make you fall asleep and step back for a jumper um if you if you sort of uh if you come up high on the pick and rolls he he can dump it off really easily despite his height uh if you play under he's his pull-up jumpers come a long way from where it started this season that was a concern coming in and, and he he wasn't really connecting on those because that wasn't really a shot he looked for in dallas and now now it's a big part of his game and he's, he's connecting on them, which made him a lot more dangerous. So uh, it's tough. I mean, the problem with the Knicks offense late in games is that uh, they don't really like to run a whole lot of, uh, of sets or, or actions or, or get super creative there, especially after timeouts. you'd wish there's like a little more. Uh, so it often comes down to like that same ISO bully ball. They like to do throughout most of the game. Uh, just the difference is Brunson is, is so damn good. And, uh, it's a little tougher. It's a little tough to double him. You know they they have they have weapons around him, uh, so he's he's been pretty effective there.
1: Um, do you think this is a team that needs to make a big trade deadline deal? I would
2: I would I would answer your question with a question. What What, what do you mean by need to do what? Like it, what's what's the what's the end goal being? What's the I I, I mean, I. Forget that. I'm going to circle it back. Yes, they should. Just because they have all this extra stuff on the roster they need to get rid of anyway. Mm-hmm. I think they want to get off Fournier's contract. Uh, he's going to get paid through a couple more seasons, so he's he's not expiring. They might want that $18 million for something else this summer. Um, Cam Reddish, I mean, you traded a first-round mm-hmm. pick and Kevin Knox for him. Is he just going to walk in free agency? You're not playing him. Doesn't sound like you're going to re-sign him. Sounds like they're gonna deal him, but the return is like a second round pick or maybe two if they're lucky. So it needs it, it depends on what their goals are. You know, I flirted with a lot of trade ideas where they can upgrade sort of around their three stars without giving up.
1: Give me one of them.
2: Uh I think you can package maybe uh reddish and top in, maybe maybe reddish, uh Fournier and Rose, maybe top in uh Fournier and Rose, and just sort of get uh, maybe like a Tobias Harris. If you throw in a pick, uh, mm. maybe, I don't know if Philly's trying to move on for him, but that's a name that's been brought up. There are smaller trades. I think if Portland continues falling off and maybe they want to do a, maybe they want to get a little younger, maybe they want to do a, a one for two trade, maybe Josh Hart for like Obi and Cam Reddish. I mm. think that's interesting. I don't know if they'd want to do that, but there, there's stuff out there. Um, you can, you can have these sort of marginal little upgrades. and And I think if they play it smart and don't rush into anything and, and, and wait out the other buyers. Maybe they can find something, maybe a Jay Crowder, but how much does it really move the needle? I mean, I think it's fine if you're getting rid of people that guys that aren't really in the rotation. Um, but if you're going into giving up assets, you have to weigh that versus what about the big trade that comes down the line with the Knicks. It always comes down to what stars is available. Like if Zach, is Zach Levine going to be, be available in February? Cause then all this other talk goes out the window. The Knicks are going to throw every pick at Zach Levine and, and, and try and get him.
1: Well, we'll talk about Zach Levine in a second. I also just kind of shiver a little bit at the possibility of Zach Levine and uh, Jalen Brunson backcourt defensively. That doesn't feel like something Tibbs uh, very much wants uh, to build around. Maybe that's a, a difference between what management might be interested in and what the coaching staff might want. Um, who are the young guys in the outs? Because we haven't mentioned Emmanuel quickly to this point. Um, Obi Toppin, you mentioned a little bit. Who, I mean, Cam Reddish, I think. I mean, look. Me selling my Cam Reddish stock uh, was was tough. Um, obviously, the the big part of the Luka trade was, oh, the number 10. And uh, what Cam Reddish will be along with Trey Young was a big part of that trade. And uh, did not get anything. Kevin Knox did not play very long or play very well for the Hawks when he was a member of uh, this franchise back here. But I'm curious, like, who are the young guys on the outs? Is it still quickly? Is he just not going to get the playing time necessary to develop and uh, be worthy to kind of keep as a core piece is Obi Toppin getting to the point where he is just kind of like all right let's see if we can get a veteran who can help more of our win now guys with randall and uh and brunson or do you think he's a part of it who, who are the young guys in the outs
2: well reddish is an easy mention just because mm. he's out of the rotation right now and he uh he's he's very likely going to be traded by february so he, he's on the outs um you know jericho sims miles mcbride these sort of guys that are fringe rotation mcbride's been in the rotation as of late i think the knicks are going to hold on to them just because they're super cost controlled there's second round picks they're they're playing very well uh, for the value you usually get out of second round picks so i think those guys are safe um you know rj barrett i think is obviously here to stay for for at least the time being unless something crazy pops up uh, i think who are the at the end of the day talking about as as potentially being traded outside of reddish are going to be quickly and ob now quickly hmm. started uh a, a lot recently with uh, rj barrett being out and quickly has done really well he, he shot the ball a lot better he's defending he, he he picks his spots well uh he's just played really good ball and if the knicks are willing to pay him uh he, he's his rookie contract expires next summer uh then they should definitely keep him on they, they shouldn't look to trade him uh, the asking price sounds like it includes an unprotected first along with whatever else I think giving him up just for that uh, would be pretty silly I think he's a very nice piece even if Brunson stays it, no matter the team construction quickly is just like a solid plug-and-play guy um, and people think of him as just spark plug score he's a lot more than that he's a defender he's a passer he does a lot of really smart and, and sound things on the court I, I think he's safe I think it'd be silly if they traded him uh, now Obi Toppin is another story so he's been hurt hmm. he just came back recently um ever since he's been a nick there's been this friction him and randall at the power forward position these two are power forwards thibs isn't playing either of them at the center sometimes he'll do it he'll eventually stray away from it he, he doesn't care to do it the defense isn't sharp enough with with those two in and the front court um so what do we do right and it's been trade randall trade Obi. it's been these two parties right uh and right now i mean randall's just he, he, two of the last three years now if you count this season as a full year two of the last three years he's been a a legitimate all-star legitimate start like really really good player you no know, you can complain about certain parts of his game you can complain, oh he's not our number one guy you can go by how far are we going with him what are he's been a really really good player solid player obi Toppin slowly developed you know he's not as he's not as young and some people might think you know I think he's like 25 24 25 um he's slowly developing he looks good this year. three-point shots falling but uh the defense has been a little spotty still and i think once again he's struggling to find minutes under julius randall and it's not fair to him uh, it's not fair to the knicks who want to maximize an eighth overall pick so i think right now actually might be a really interesting time to to look at the trade market for ob top and i haven't there hasn't been a whole lot of reporting about that um but i i did a piece with like five Obi Toppin trades just to like see what's out there none of it's super amazing you know there's like a, a a swap with indiana for o'shea Brissett and a pick or mm-hmm. you can swap him straight up for like chris duarte that sort of helps both teams needs because indiana wants to get some young frontcourt partners for halliburton and the knicks could use like another wing in duarte that, that could sort of do multiple things so i like the idea of those those types of trades i think i i'm a huge obi fan uh, i'm a believer but i don't think his skills are maximized on a thibs Competitive Knicks team.
1: Okay, I like it. Um, the Suns, something that we don't like here, uh, trending in the wrong direction. Um, I, how worried are you about where the Suns are at with injuries and relying on DeAndre Ayton to keep this thing afloat at the moment?
2: Uh, I'm not incredibly worried, just just because if you consider their their young core, and if you, I mean, you can't really assume that no one's going to want out of there, especially because the, the whole Aiden situation and, and you know, stars are so fickle in today's NBA. You just don't know, right? Mm. So, uh, you know, you look at their relative age, Aiden, Booker, uh, Bridges, Johnson. They just have a young, really solid core that can be a, a strong playoff team for a while. And you look at their record now and you start to question, but uh, I need to pull up and actually check, but how much of these losses are coming with Devin Booker out, you know? Mm. once he's back do we stop worrying about these issues um so I don't know, i'm not super worried about them in the long term short term uh even short-term competitiveness i mean look again bookers hurt the west is wide open no one looks like a juggernaut in the west maybe, maybe say for i don't know like your personal opinion you might have like a denver or, or a memphis but all these teams are beatable uh, i don't think you have to be too worried if you're a suns fan uh, i think you need to trade jay crowder get something back for him i think you need to Make some moves to upgrade the depth maybe, but no no panic, no panic yet.
1: It's just not great that you look through like the best five-man lineups across the league and just you're not finding Phoenix anywhere on it. And the Phoenix lineup that's played the most together this year, the five-man, because Jay Crowder obviously has not been uh, a factor here, Campaign... Uh, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Torrey Craig, and DeAndre Ayton have played uh, 491 possessions with one another, and they're minus 0. 0.4 possessions uh, per hundred. They're negative. Like, you look through it, and you're like, I don't know, man. Like, this <sighs> usage is still super high for Booker. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, obviously, I don't think wanted to come back here <laughs> um, based on how last season ended. And it's like, they haven't really switched anything for the roles. Like, Crowder's been out. Paul's been banged up, obviously. But his usage is still right at 21, which is uh, super low for what you're paying uh, somebody like DeAndre. And I don't know. I think the Suns still have some more stuff. I also just I don't know what they're going to get back for Jay Crowder. Mikhail Bridges, I think, being stretched a little bit too thin here. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's just I, I, I have some questions about how this if they can all get on the same page at the right time. And I'm just kind of concerned about the lineups for them.
2: Yeah, there's definitely cause for concern. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't have them in my uh in my contender's bracket right now, to be sure. No. But but that can always change. And and I point to the youth again because like what happens next year if Mikhail Bridges comes out and he's like a legit 20 point score, like he's he makes us he makes a leap in offensive creation and mm. offensive ability. Like suddenly so a lot of these problems don't look so bad, right? They they go away a little bit. The Chris Paul issue goes away a little bit. Yeah, Chris Paul is getting paid a lot. He's uh he thinks he's coming off the books like after next season or something. Mm. It, it's not it's not terribly, uh, terribly crippling to your cap sheet, you know. Well, uh, once once it becomes an expiring contract, you can you can probably move Chris Paul with a little more ease, and he, he's still a, he's still a useful player. Um, and we should yeah. also
1: mention Cam Johnson being out was a huge blow because yeah. that Paul Booker Bridges Johnson Aiton lineup plus twenty nine point five in one hundred and thirty nine possessions, like they were killing folks with Cam Johnson at the four. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know, like they, they just need to get healthy. I think they're one of those teams kind of like the Atlanta when you look at Atlanta's best lineups, it's like, yeah, when Murray, Trey, Capella, Collins and Hunter all play together, they're really good. Um, and if you just flip out Capella for a Congo with that group, they're still really good. Um, it's just they've never been healthy and they have not been healthy together for two years and now tonight it's like they get the bucks in town i'm like oh yay this should be interesting trey young's out with a non-covid illness and you're like okay what's actually Like nothing can be normal or good uh for either of these franchises right now i, I don't know um when you look at the bulls you mentioned zach levine verts um are they back are you ready to talk yourself into the bulls uh getting back into focus here as a as a real playoff team um kind of like where the knicks are at the moment like six seven eight or are they in? like have they buried themselves a little bit too much or exactly, and brought them back to life in a significant way?
2: Yeah, I think they're just a play-in team. I expect them to be a play-in team. They're a playing team now. They'll they they can fight for six, seven, eight. Uh, I mean seven eight is the plan. So mm. uh, I, I think they're I think they're in that range. You know, six will be a little tougher, but I don't think they're that far behind the Knicks actually. Uh, maybe only a few games. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean they're always they're always in in competition for that. So long as they have DeRozan, Levine, Vucevic, just all, all that on paper stuff, you know, um, it's, it's it's a nice team. But the question's always been with the ceiling with this team, like how far high can we go? And We saw last year they got off that amazing start; they were first in the East. Everything seemed to be clicking, and that was when they had you know Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso full strength, and they were just they were just abusing everybody. So I, I think. And even then, uh, you know, no one really thought of that first seed performance as as concrete and real. You know, no one no one thought they were the best team in the East. So you know, we, we have to see. I mean, this Lonzo Ball thing—he's he's so important to them, and it's it's such a such a weird question mark. Caruso hasn't quite been himself. He's been hurt. He's been, you know, even when he's played, he hasn't been quite himself. Uh, so that takes stuff off the ceiling. You know, DeRozan and Levine a lot better now. But, you know, they can't just like play at MVP levels all the time, right? If they both come into the playoffs and they're both playing to their best, that's interesting. Maybe they can upset a team. Maybe they could win a couple playing games. Maybe they could do something. I just, at the end of the day, my expectations were never super high for this team. Um, the flame out they were having earlier this year was a bit surprising and definitely enticed a lot of, a lot of teams looking for upgrades. But uh, now that they're back in the playing picture, I think they're going to pursue that. I think they should be looking at like small sort of interesting upgrades and swaps that that better align their team to where they can they can compete a little easier. Like I think they should be going after Miles Turner. Hmm. Why isn't Why isn't Vucevic and a pick Vucevic and something for Miles Turner being uh, being talked about? I thought I think that'd be really really interesting for them
1: probably because it feels like the pacers just want to keep miles turner right yeah, at this point
2: yeah it, it sounds like they just they just want to at this point because yeah. they're
1: better like the pacers are a borderline playoff team so it's like you don't they're just not going to do a sell-off like anyone who the lakers who were holding out for miles turner and uh, buddy Heal, it's like i don't think that trade's ever coming. you're not getting that westbrook sell-off like they're they're thinking yeah. playoffs right now Halliburton's too good
2: which is pretty remarkable given like the offseason nobody thought of anything with this team. Mm-hmm. And then they started off well and they were in the playoff picture. And there's all there's like that first 15, 20 games where people were like, Oh, this team's like higher than we expected. That's cute, but they'll they'll fizzle out like the Jazz mm-hmm. or or whoever. And the Pacers are just there. They're they're just good. They're like, No, we're in the play in. Like, sorry, we're gonna fight for this.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, Zach Levine though, how good is he? Do you consider him a star at this point? Is he a needle mover for a contender if the Bulls went down that road?
2: He moves the needle, that's for mm. sure. I mean, the cost to get him is going to be akin to what Donovan Mitchell took, to what Rudy Gobert took, but it's what you're getting you for think him, so, right? Yeah, the cost will be. The cost absolutely will be. Like, from Chicago's point, and whoever ends up trading for him will give up what they have to do. The Lakers mm. will give up two of those unprotecteds. They'll give up what they have to do. I I, I truly believe so. But um, as far as actual production, I think he's like a tier below that Donovan Mitchell. I, I don't know how I would tier my all-stars exactly, Mm. Uh, if, if you sort of put this like all right there's like the super elite mvp tier where they're just like the lucas the Giannis's, the because they they change your franchise then there's like maybe like a high all-star tier that donovan mitchell and then right below that is zach levine like he's the julius randall tier mm. of all-star you know what i'm saying and i'll take another julius randall on the knicks absolutely uh, i i would take him on the lakers i'll take him on anybody uh because zach levine too especially i think he's I, I think he's a he, he he fit he fits well in theory with other like star teams. Mm. Uh, I think because he, he's such a good shooter, he's able to attack in space very well. I think he could be a really good off-ball player, and I, I don't think he, I don't think he has the same sort of ego and, you, and needs to pound the ball as much as these other guys. So uh, I, I think he's definitely an interesting trade candidate. You know, the defense is obviously a concern. Uh, I wonder how much of that changes with certain schemes and certain uh certain situations i mean he looked a lot better last year when they were the first seed and he had some more defensive help and he was locked in and engaged you know um especially on yeah on both ends so i i think with him i I think he's a worthy guy to gamble for i I just don't put him as on a high all-star tier with like the donovan mitchell or
1: or but who's the team for him
2: who's the team for who should trade for him
1: yeah, who who is the team for Zach Levine? Who makes the most sense, whether it's this summer or this this winter? Who makes the most sense for Zach Levine? Who would give up the Dodvin Mitchell war chest, and you would be like, okay, I can understand why you would do this.
2: The Lakers don't quite have that war chest, but that obviously mm. makes. I mean, they could use anybody though. So maybe maybe the Lakers aren't the right. Uh, I'm trying to think who's like realistic has the war chest, and and would like would fit well with Levine. I have to think about that. Um.
1: Portland jumps out, but I don't think they have the salary. Like, they can't do it. You can't trade Simons at this point. I don't Uh, think Portland makes sense. You can't. Jeremy Grant's been too good. He's on an expiring, but I think you have to keep him in that. And Josh Hart's only making 12 mil. Yusuf is only making 15. Like, I don't like because they have the young guys where it's like Shaden Sharp, Simons, and then uh, some picks. But I just, and you know, Lillard would love Levine and those two. That'd be a lot of fun. I just, I don't think they have enough.
2: Yeah, I think that defensive backcourt also good. I mean, honestly, the defensive backcourt thing, once you're putting an elite scoring guard, you have two elite scoring guys, it's just going to happen. I mean, I don't know, maybe Charlotte, um, hmm. Dallas should absolutely look at Levine, but I don't know what they have to trade for him. That's the
1: hardaway. Like, I don't yeah, know.
2: Pick to the Knicks, uh, give him Hardy, the young guys, Hardy and Josh Green, maybe. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I don't know. It just, there's not a lot that jump out. Like, it'd be fun Detroit doing it where Detroit's like, Hey, Jalen Duran is looks like a huge home run and it's just such a crap shoot. The draft man, right? Like, and that yeah. was almost a Nick Jalen Duran who he thought was going to be a Nick uh, in the last draft, but he he's great. Um, they have a lot of former Knicks. You got New well over here. Um, but I don't know, like they're the team where it's like, do you want to jumpstart this thing? Or how sure are you about Jaden Ivy? is my conversation where it's like, are you sure him and Cade Cunningham work? Or would you rather just give Cade, an all-star right away and then see what you have and get back to the playoffs keep bojan and uh give Dwayne casey uh a, a, a really good player and see if that's working because the building through the lottery has not really worked out for the piston to this point
2: yeah i don't know if i would give Kid and ivy an all-star yet um uh, hmm. i think even kate has some questions about him so I no, think i'm saying
1: I would. Kate, ivy would go in this deal
2: oh okay yeah, I don't know if I'd even give Cater an all star yet, just because he mm. has his own questions and his performances have been sort of up and down. So I'd like to see how he develops first. I'd like to see how he, Ivy, and, and Duran mm. uh, develop together. I don't think you want to blow up that core too fast. Like, I think so. I listened to the Zach Lowe pod where he had, um, I forgot who it was. They were talking about the Orlando Magic, which. Mm-hmm. I love when national uh, NBA podcast just like cover the Magic for half an hour. That's great. Um, like they're wow. talking about them, shots they-
1: fired at the Magic. What's no, wrong? No, no, no. I like no. I genuinely. Oh, like you're being it. genuine. Like, okay. I, I, I was like the like, good. Love that.
2: like yes. Like I want like a full hour on like the 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 Kings like cap situation. I was gonna say whatever. I thought you were
1: going full New York uh, sports radio host. Like no, no one cares no. about the Magic. A eh?
2: full full basketball nerd mm-hmm. actually. Um, so they were talking about them making that all-star big move, they're talking about that in the context of Donovan Mitchell this last summer or Zach Levine now. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think Orlando is probably like a year ahead of Detroit. So, mm-hmm. and even Orlando, I, I'm not sure if they should do it. So in thinking about that, I, I don't know if I would put Detroit in that, in, in that space yet.
1: Well, Orlando's in that spot where they got to do something. Jonathan and explained a G league game tonight, I think. Oh, yeah. Um. So he's back soon. You already paid him forever ago. He hasn't played basketball in two and a half years. But like you have Markel Fultz, you have Jalen Suggs, you have Franz Wagner, you have Cole Anthony, um, RJ Hampton. Um. Yeah, but do you know what
2: know, what does that mean? No, what, what, you... what I'm saying is
1: like I think they're gonna have to consolidate some assets yeah, yeah, yeah. soon, where they have too many young guys. I mean, it's kind of like the Knicks, where like, quickly is just like the odd man out. Like I just I think some and Obi Toppin kind of the odd man out with just the it's just. You cannot only build through the draft, and when guys. you've been in the lottery for as long as they have, it's like you're running out of room um, yeah. for a lot of these guys, and you have to kind of consolidate a little bit. The Magic are nearing that point of consolidation to get back in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, you can't pay and play all these guys, right? And, mm-hmm. and I understand that. And when these trades come up, like if you're the Knicks and this Donovan Mitchell thing comes up, and and you mm. miss that opportunity, and you see what he's doing in Cleveland, you know that's obviously something to think about when you, when you can have that. That level of talent and what it does for your franchise. But you also have to be ready. Cleveland's ready. Um, and I and I think Detroit isn't Orlando, yeah, they're definitely gonna need some consolidation. I think they need to find out what a couple more of these guys are. I think uh Wagner, Franz Wagner to be specific, because they have both mm-hmm. of them, and uh and Paolo. I, I think you know what you have out of those two guys. I think Fultz looks interesting now. He could just be your like plug-in lead guard for now while while you while you figure out the point guard situation. Um, but the rest yeah I'm not sure uh, consolidation would probably make sense. you can't you can't extend and pay all those guys. Um, Levine for them would be interesting. I, I think mm. it'd be an interesting fit for sure. Uh, definitely gives them a lot of shooting that they need.
1: Yeah and man Levine Bencaro, prawn as a as a core would be be fun. Um, I think that would be fun. Uh, vert. What can the good folks check out from you across the internet uh, this week? What do you what do you want to plug as we wrap up here on uh, this Wednesday afternoon?
2: Uh, i was doing doing more Knicks coverage for SNY, probably more about the trade market as as trade season heats up and we get more rumors. Uh, hopefully, talking about some Knicks win streaks and and not losing streaks and not strengths and not weaknesses. So so let's see how how this week goes.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, keep up the good work, my friend. And uh, I appreciate the time as always. And uh, we'll check back in again soon.
2: Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. All
1: right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas podcast where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. I am excited to be joined by a first timer, someone that I saw up close and in person in the college baseball regionals I can't I can't believe it's almost been uh what 7 8 months ago that that happened it was hot it was June uh it was a very different time but you know baseball season's right around the corner and I don't know if a lot of people are ready for this but we're a month out just about and coach Vasquez is here the Alabama State head men's baseball coach coach good afternoon sir how are you
3: I'm doing good thank you for having me I mean I'm uh you know things are good Family good. We're excited to 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 get going Uh, like uh, my club. We had a good fall. Uh, You know, we are just trying to uh, get ahead of a few things as uh, probably every head coach is and and, and coaching staff in the nation. But we're moving. We're moving along. And then our guys, everybody's back. Everybody's ready to go. and, And everybody came back healthy. And, you know, we got some some positive things going on. So I I'm excited.
1: How important are the fall games? I know Tennessee played a couple and different schools play a different, uh, a couple just kind of work in new transfers and just see what you got with young guys and just see how guys have uh, kept up with everything over the off season. How important are fall games for you? Do you really decipher? Yeah.
3: I think it was one of the most uh, influential decisions as far as with the NCAA allowing Mm -hmm. us to compete against outside competition in the, in the fall Mm -hmm. in the, you know, scrimmaging, playing against each other, obviously, we, that's what every team does. But when you have the opportunity to see what the guys can do, mm. it's a different, you know, setting and and hopefully what they could uh, do once we get in the season. I think it's, uh, it's crucial for our evaluation.
0: You mm.
3: know, uh, there's some guys that going based on earning uh, what they what they get. You know, I think that the way that you probably most of the coaches manage the fall is that. What you've seen so so far from those players, you know, those are the ones that are gonna that you're gonna go to battle with for the most part in those fall games. At least that's what I do. You know, there's mm-hmm. guys that show you that they can do it, and you know, by the time we play our two games, we have played some games, some scrimmages, and and uh, you know, we played this this year. We played a junior college. We played a uh, uh, local school that the Division two school that the they do an excellent job, and and we just competed and actually I was very proud of how we played so I think like I said it's one of the best decisions that they that they were able to make for for our programs as far as just kind of getting us out of the routine of just playing you know each other and you know that competitive edge I think it comes out you know when you're playing other teams that are you know uh, obviously getting ready for the season as well.
1: How ready are you for the 2023 college baseball season to start? Have you enjoyed your off season? Have you gotten a fun Christmas and New Year's and you're like, ah, I don't know, I'm, I'm not ready to dive back into the grind just yet. Are you ready to go?
3: You know what? I, I, I do have to say that I enjoy the time with my family. Um, mm-hmm. As you know, you know we uh, we do spend quite a bit of time away from from the family, but uh, definitely excited to, uh, in the way that I feel, which probably... Even hungrier than, than mm-hmm. how I felt last year, you know. When you get the opportunity to do the things that that we accomplish, it, it's a crazy feeling because you want to do it again. You know, you want to. Mm-hmm. You want to. I was talking to the team yesterday. You want to validate. You know uh, the things that you were able to to accomplish. So I'm, needless to say, you know, even my family. You know, they know that I'm happier uh, when the season is. You know, when we're full throttle when it comes to baseball. They know that. That's what I love, and, and uh, me and my staff were just ready to to get going. But we do we did take took some um, some time and spent some time with the family. We did the the Disney thing. We had a great time over there.
1: What was the biggest hit there? What do the kids love the most uh, at Disney?
3: Well, I you know what I have a I have a seventeen year old mm. uh, senior in high school, um, mm. and I have a fifteen year old. So we okay. we met with uh, with her. Family, you know her parents, and we had a great time down in Disney. The weather was great, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we had Christmas just at home. And I mean, it was a good off season. And mm-hmm. like I said, just making sure that our, our guys are were continue to work even when the, we were not with them every day. But it, it's exciting to to be back and to see everybody, and obviously to be on the field with them getting ready is. Uh, I think it's the best part for probably every coach in the nation.
1: How do you recharge in the offseason? Do you have a, a strategy that you use with the grind and like once you finished up uh, the regionals this past year, is there something that you do kind of a routine to, to make sure you're recharged so you're ready to go to jump right back into it at this point next, in the following year?
3: No. You know what? Uh, for, for years, I think uh, as far as recharging, in a, in a way it becomes a little stressful this summer because you know that obviously we go from playing to evaluating talent mm-hmm. and, and at that point – After having uh, a good year, you want to, as I said, you want to make sure that you're uh, putting a team together that you feel that they can do it again. You know, if Mm -hmm. it was just average, then obviously it's a lot of thinking and what do we need uh, in order to get to that level. So, you know, uh, as far as how do I recharge, I, you know, I do certain things. I, uh, like I said, hang out with the family. I'm able to to go out and, and, uh, recruiting is still a passion of mine. And, and, you know, even though I don't go out as much as I, uh, used to, Mm. it's still something that I enjoy and just continue to meet people, watch baseball and, and enjoy those hot summers in different places. As you know, everybody, you know, goes to different places and it's 110 degrees, (laughs) watch baseball. But I, that, that's a way for me to, you know, you're staying in, involved in the game and, 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 uh, and watching and meeting people and, and going to the things that, that that I love, which is, you know, staying involved in, in the game.
1: What's been the biggest thing you've learned about yourself since becoming uh, the Alabama State manager?
3: Wow, that's a good you know what? I, I never thought about that. That what I have learned about myself is how to probably control my emotions. And not react uh, to certain things that may uh push us to to not the limit but in where we can um, react out of emotions you know mm-hmm. and I, I've learned that that I need to be a listener uh, mm-hmm. that I need to um, just think things through you know prior to making decisions I need to I learned that I that I feel that I'm a good communicator, you know, mm-hmm. I, I learned that and and that's how I try to solve a lot of the the problems and make sure that I pay attention continue to pay attention to details, you know, uh in order for us to, you know, the to continue to to elevate the program. You know, we have to understand, you know, uh how the game is evolving, how everything is happening. I mean there's a lot of things going on, but I I, I learned that you gotta you gotta keep up. You know, I, that's one thing that I that I have learned. You got to keep up. You have to, you know, certain things that you want to do uh, uh, as you because you've been doing it for the you know as you grew up in the, in the game. But there's some things that you have to be able to adapt. So uh, those are the things that I probably learned the most.
1: Building off that a little bit, I'm curious, how has the game changed since you first became a coach? Because obviously with launch angle and things like that, I mean, just home run central and me being yeah. here in Knoxville, just seeing it up close and personal, just how important um, the long ball is now. But um, how has it changed since you became a coach and how have you had to change kind of your coaching style since uh, since uh, taking over?
3: I think that the, the tools are there for us to be better prepared. Mm-hmm. So uh, When I started coaching, um, at times, you know, you, you had to go to the weekend and based on, I guess, a written scan report, mm. just kind of go based on what you can get from that written scan report. Now with all the tools that we have and be able to put a, a visual, as everybody mm. else does, into maybe uh, the arm that we're going to face, you know, uh, the way that a team will attack for the most part. Those things are, what I'm telling you, they've changed the game. Mm -hmm. Game And you have to, like I said, you have to continue to adapt weekend by weekend and and really game by game, because if you if you're not up to par with everything that's going on with all the tools and everything that everybody has and things that continue to come out, that's that's what I'm actually uh, impressed the most. There's things that, you know, uh, the game is being taught and, and there's gadgets and things that everybody keep coming out that actually make a lot of sense. So I'm all for that. But the game has changed quite a bit, like I said, from a written scan report to now being able to to know what a team you know can do and seeing things like I said, uh, mechanics, uh, uh, velocities, uh, all of that stuff. It, it's something that has changed for the for the good, you know, uh, of the game. But uh, you have to is put some uh, us in situations that we have to obviously spend more money, you know, to be able mm-hmm. to get. Uh, and to be up to par with everybody else.
1: Do you have to change what you teach every year?
3: No, no. Okay. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, we, we stay pretty simple with the philosophy. As far as mm. changing what we teach, uh, I, I don't feel like I know any, everything about baseball. So there's some things that, that I still hear, see.
1: You're always learning.
3: Oh, yeah. There's some programs that we play against that I see certain things, where there's an adjustment, whether it's an approach, whether it's a philosophy uh, that I definitely, maybe a play, you know, maybe hmm. a play that they do against you that you're like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to steal that one. So uh, you continue to adapt, but I, you know, I don't change as far as how we want to play baseball, as far as how Alabama, I want Alabama state baseball to to go about things that does, that's not going to change. Uh, we're just going to adapt for, you know, to certain things, but, you know, we we feel that we have been, uh, you know, successful and we want to continue with that. And not that, it's, that we're perfect, but I think that the things that we have done, they, they work. So I don't know if we should change them too much.
1: Um, why do you think your program has blossomed to the point that it has? And why did you have just such a breakthrough year last year making the regionals?
3: I... When, when it comes to this, you look deep into how you've been able to to be consistent, mm. do certain things that uh, eventually got us to to win the you know the conference tournament mm-hmm. again. I know uh, we did it when I was a uh, associate head coach, but uh, my first time you know winning as a, as a head coach, um, it, there's too many things you know, and I and I can uh, if if you don't mind, I'll just dissect them. I have yeah. a, a great staff that had helped me put a, a, a competitive team year in and year out. Uh, I have a great recruiting coordinator that is uh, a you know, superstar and, and does a great job. Uh, the administration uh, understanding that in order for us to once again be up to par, there's certain things that we need and allowing us to get those things, allowing us to to be as close as we can from, from uh, I guess bigger programs. Mm. All those things come into play in order for you to 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 be successful. You know, we're recruiting good young men. You know, they they come here from good families. They come here from good backgrounds, and and I, even though they made mistakes, I think it's normal. But it's our job to to keep them, you know, uh, in that line that we want them to to walk in. And the, all those things uh, allow us to be in a situation that you can concentrate on winning games, you know, winning a championship, and not there's not outside distractions or things that you have to worry about. You know, and like I said, from, from us doing a, the job that we were hired to do to the administration, great leadership, you know, from our president, from our, our AD, uh, you know, people that are, that are academics, you know, everybody really has a, a lot to do with the success of our program. And that's one thing that I make sure that I let them understand and, and, you know, I'll go, not even, uh, you know, from the, the people grounds, people, you know, people that help us, uh, make sure that our stadium is clean from our people that take care of our field, you know, from our uh, bus drivers, you know, that takes us and, and bring us back safe. There's just uh, too many things that allow us to once again, concentrate on getting ready for opponents and then just execute the game plan, uh, game in and game, game out.
1: What's your strongest selling point to kids to come play for you in Alabama State?
3: Uh, We have a a great institution. Mm -hmm. We, we, you know, our academics continue to get stronger. As I've been here, we have a lot of programs that we offer. That's number one. Mm -hmm. And you you offer now uh, the ability to compete year in and year out with a championship and to win a championship. Mm -hmm. A great schedule. You know, we are in a place that we we have for the most part we have great weather you know we're able to to be outside the entire year you know we don't have uh i guess a problem maybe a couple of days that is uh 20 maybe 15 degrees and you were actually still could be out there but maybe it's not the the smartest to just you know continue to to be outside so but i think the the ability once again the, the way that our program is we have everything that that we that we need in order for mm-hmm. us to succeed. you know we have facilities we have the way we travel the way we eat the way we compete the way we dress you know the way that uh, that a uh, division one program should be so we have uh, we have some things that are, uh, you know uh, as we continue we got to continue to evolve we got to continue to to get better and hopefully uh we add some more So we can, you know, keep up with everybody else. It's hard, but once again, we have everything that we need in order for us to be successful.
1: What makes Corey King special?
3: No, just he um, knows who he is as a player. He is not a, he's not selfish. He's a guy, he's a team guy that uh, understand what he needs to do in order for us to win. Mm-hmm. Uh Corey King was a player of the year. Situations that uh, and I'll give you a couple of examples. Situations in where I probably could have just allowed him to take over games. And and I felt that at that time, even though he was having a great year, he needed to put a bump down or something, you know, maybe hit and run or take a pitch on a 2-0 pitch and things like that. Never once. We complain never once gave me attitude never he's just such a team guy that it's awesome to see guys like that even in the championship game mm-hmm. you know, if you were able to you know but I will go back we had an opportunity on the I think it was in the eleventh inning we played fourteen I think it was at the eleventh or tenth into where I asked for him to bunt and he bunted mm-hmm. you know and that we're talking about the player of the year fourteen home runs three sixty I thought that we you know we needed to find a way to mm-hmm. take the lead, and he did what I asked him to do. And then he did it, executed the bunt. We didn't score the run. Then in the 14th inning, he comes in in the same situation. Man on first, nobody out. And I say, you know what? We tried the bunt already. I looked at uh, <laughs> at Drew, my associate head coach. I looked at him from third base, and he goes basically like, don't bunt, just let him swing. And I was like, you know, I was thinking that first pitch hits a double we take the lead and we ended up winning that game 5-4 because of him so i mean he was he just a special a special young man uh extremely bright uh does a great job in the classroom there's really you know he does everything right so i'm uh, i'm very happy that that he's here and hopefully uh he can have another good season for us
1: who was the most underrated player from last year's team for you
3: uh well i got two okay Uh, the most underrated player and you know and i i now i'm you got me thinking now but Mm i have i have some guys that brought a few things to the table that are very hard to to replace and i'll give Mm
0: you
3: underrated a pitcher was uh osvaldo mendes Mm -hmm. and a pitcher that had the ability to start games came in relief he closed games he I mean, he's that type of guy. You know, there's not whatever he needed. Yeah, whatever I needed, ended up getting the double play. You know, uh, by design. Uh, you know, I wanted him at the end of the of the game, but he ended up getting the, the ground ball double play to to win the game. I have a, a you know uh, Ian Matos is somebody that uh, got hurt, but and he didn't have a great offensive season. But what he brings to the table in the center field, there's not many. Now I've been doing this for 21 years. There's not many that I have seen that can play center field like like he can. Mm-hmm. He plays with that. Uh, uh. You know, we had a, a young man, Kyler McIntosh. You probably saw yep. him. You know, and and he
1: two hole right. He was right behind yeah, uh, yeah, Kinga.
3: Yeah. For, for the beginning of the year. He came in as a two way guy. He played mm-hmm. shortstop. We had a great shortstop last year, senior. So he really wasn't getting too much playing time as far as hitting. He was our on the rotation. Somebody got hurt, you know, uh, put him in the, in the lineup because I knew he could do it. And my goodness, before you know it, he's hit, I don't know, 380 something. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and ended up being an everyday guy and also pitching. But I think there's one guy that is, this key has been key. And I I wanted to get to him is Christian Lopez, our third baseman. Hmm. Yeah. He, um. Talking about a calm guy, don't let his highs get too high, just kind of plays with, you know, whether he hits a home run or strikes out is the same attitude and, and but he plays the ability that, that Christian has to play their base. I my goodness. You know, and that solidify our, our infield and and he made plays and to the point that when that last ball uh was hit to him in that mm.
0: championship
3: game. They hit a lefty, hits a ground ball to the line. As soon as he fielded that baseball, as soon as that baseball was in his glove, uh, you know, quietly I started celebrating because I knew he was going to make that throw. And that's how we, you know, we won the championship that way.
1: I love it. Um, I have a question for you about Tennessee. Yeah. Do you think they were the, you saw them up close and in person. Do you think they were the best team in, in college baseball last year?
3: Uh, Absolutely, 100%. You are right about that. I didn't think we we face, as I told you, we face a lot of quality programs. Mm. The the combination of what they had uh, with the arms, with uh, one through nine, uh, defensively, uh, a great setup, in my opinion. They play really uh, to their feel. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the field, as you know, is not as big. So, you know, you have to take it back. <laughs> yeah. It's Whenever, like home run
1: derby on most uh, <laughs> Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: It's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel that uh, Tony did a, an excellent job in this and their staff just, uh, uh, you know, G, you, you have to the way that I see it in recruiting. Mm-hmm. And that's how and We try to do it. You got a GM, like a general manager, the whole thing. You know, you have mm-hmm. to put a, a you got to put a team together. Yeah, you can have a bunch of talent. You can just get whoever, you know, the guys that are talented and all that stuff. But you have to be able to say, okay, what is this guy going to do for our program? What is this guy going to do? And I think... How do they fit the culture? Yes. And I think that he did an excellent job putting that, uh, that team together. And obviously, then you got uh, what, what I saw is not only talented, but they got along mm. and they had the attitude about them. Basically, you know, we, we are that good. And I always think that that that's good. And and obviously you, we saw it. I did make a comment on my press conference when we faced the, the first uh, the first game. I said, if mm. this young man is not a first rounder, that I don't know what a first rounder is <laughs> because yeah. you know he he was ninety four to ninety eight. I thought mm. three pitch mix. Uh, you know we hit a few hits on a fastball, and he goes, now nah, you know we're gonna make adjustments right now and start to throw breaking ball really whenever he wanted to plus the body, you know, ready to, to, he was mature. So I, Mm -hmm. and, you know, separated himself. So, yeah, I think that uh, there was no, no doubt in my mind that they were the best team in college baseball.
1: When you, you talked about showing tape and stuff and how much that's, you don't just get a stat sheet anymore. Obviously, Joyce throwing 105.5. Did that, when you're showing like kids, I'm sure have heard of it. They're like, hey, yep. does he really throw 100? Like, is that really a possibility? We're going to see that on Friday night and you show him, you're like, no, 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 no. no. He's throwing 105. Here's what it looks like. Uh, what was that like?
3: Well, and, you know, I was fortunate to to see uh Strasburg when he was a, oh. a prospect you know yeah. I saw him we actually played against them early in California he was 98 to 100
0: mm-hmm.
3: um with pitchability, you know uh but as far as somebody that has thrown more than 100 I never seen anything like that hmm. and uh you know I remember that he actually came to face I believe just one batter and he was electric so you know you don't see that often I there's not much you can say besides just yeah. at that point I became a, an expectator, really. I just wanted to, to watch and, and, uh, and make sure that I enjoy seeing somebody that most likely at some point is going to be in the big leagues, you know, and he was playing against us. So it, it was impressive. It was it's incredible. also just
1: crazy to see it come out of that. Like, you just don't see it. Like, you're not going to see it very often. And guys just don't throw 105. Like, that's, uh, that's just not what you see. So, I just always felt bad throughout the year of uh, these poor hitters. Like, I mean, Corey King, whoever. It's like, you're better. It's just it different. Matter.
3: You're not ready for that. You don't. No, you, know, you can't. Nobody practices that, you know. You, <laughs>
1: How do you? You can, no.
3: go, you can go 90. You can set the machine 92, 95, things like mm. that. But you don't You don't send the machine at 105. Yeah, <laughs> so it's tough. It's tough to mimic that, you know, and to get ready for that. So yeah, it, it was, it was fun. You know, it was fun to see him do that. I like
1: it. <laughs> um, what's gonna look different, or I guess the most different from this year's Alabama State uh, Alabama State team from last year's? What do you think is gonna be the biggest change?
3: I think the biggest change. Uh, you know, we're we're gonna miss. Um, you know, Breon Pooler was a senior last year. He started that that game against Tennessee. He was outstanding for mm-hmm. us. So the, uh, you know, true number one guy that competed every time that that uh, that came out there, whether he had his best stuff or not, he was a guy that you knew was going to keep you in the game. I think we're going to miss Breon. But -hmm. then again, it happens every year. You know, you lose guys, whether it's to graduation, whether it's uh, to being uh, drafted or just being done playing baseball, you know, but some other guys are going to have to step up. We have a, right now we have a group that I feel that is going to be extremely competitive on the mound. Uh, there's some things that is still got to be played out in this next 35 days. You know, as far as uh, uh, who's going to, you know, start the season. I think when when we came in with Breon last year, we knew that we had a, a number one. So you mm-hmm. knew I knew 35 days ahead who was going to start that first game. You know. I think right now I have a, a bunch of guys that are battling that have the ability, but I still need to see certain things to see who's going to be the leader of the of the pitching staff.
1: I like it. Um, do, are you a New Year's resolution guy? Did you have any New Year's resolutions as a coach that you got for this year?
3: Oh, uh, more of a goals type of guy. Okay. I, I guess a resolution. I'm more of a goals. I would love to to. I think consistency and everything that that we do is is key for me. I use that word quite a bit. Uh, like I said, I want to be able to concentrate on on February seventeenth right now. My um, mm. it's is not on anything else. You know, my mind is to to get the guys ready, uh, along with my staff, and just concentrate on on that first day. And then once that once that first day is is over with, then we'll concentrate on the doubleheader that we have the next day. So I would love to. Goals, you know, I would love for for our program to to get close to, to if we can to the forty win mark. I think that will be a remarkable uh, accomplishment, you know, for for the guys. And you know, winning, uh, I compare winning to to, you know, to a lot of things. But winning is like uh, money. When you have some, you want more. Mm. You know, and when you uh, when you win, you know, obviously you you want to be able to continue to to uh, do the things that you did and maybe some adjustments to hopefully uh, be in that situation again, because it's fun, you know, you want to
1: host a regional this year.
3: Oh, well, (laughs) um, my goodness, that would Mm -hmm. be, wow. That would be outstanding. That would be outstanding. But I, I would like to, like I said, winning, winning 40 games, I think is something that, uh, that we could do, but we just Mm. have to be consistent throughout, you know, and everybody goes through their ups and downs in the season. But in order for us to accomplish that, you know, we we have the, you know, our, our goal is to to win the division uh, and uh, to get into a regional again.
1: I love it. Coach, how did the good folks support your program down there in Montgomery, Alabama, this season leading up? We're 37 days away from the first Hornets baseball game. How did the good folks support you and what you've got going on down here? Very
3: good. Very good. I have, a, you know, a little bit um, at the beginning when it's a little cold, Mm-hmm. You know, we have we might have uh people that may just watch it online
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, uh, go out in person folks yeah. go out because you're going to be hot and you're going to be complaining uh, uh, in may about how hot it is yeah. like just go ahead and enjoy it now it won't be like that very, for long
3: very true no but we have we have a great uh fan base we montgomery is a is a baseball town mm-hmm. uh, i think i want to believe that uh and I know, but, but our, our fans and our administration along with, you know, with our alumni are very proud of what we have accomplished. So mm-hmm. I know we do have their support and, uh, you know, even though we do great, uh, as far as people coming in at there's, you know, you can always have more because it, it, one of the things that I noticed, obviously, and, and you know, this is, at the at our level, at the end of the day is 18 to 22 year olds, you know, playing, mm-hmm. uh, when you have that, uh, the ability to have uh, the home fan base—it it definitely makes a difference. It makes a difference, and when we experience that at, at Tennessee. We have experienced that at other places. You know, whether it's Auburn, uh, places that average—I don't know—maybe four or five thousand people.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: When you get to the atmosphere of, of a regional atmosphere, you know, one of the things that that we—I know—it doesn't happen all the time—and where you're playing in front of three, 000, five thousand people. Mm-hmm. So you know it might take you an inning or two to kind of get used to that, but that inning or two might be the the reason why you know you're not in the game. So and I think that's uh, one of the big di- differences of of uh, the programs like that. You know, as, as you know Tennessee, LSU, Arkansas, places that uh, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, uh, places and where you're averaging my goodness, close to ten thousand, maybe even more mm-hmm. in the game. You know, you get used to that and and, and that becomes part of, of uh, the routine and, and uh, you have to be able to concentrate and and getting the job done, whether it's, you know, 10 people or 10,000. But it definitely helps when you have a lot of people there.
1: I love it, Coach. This has been great. I very much enjoyed our conversation. I appreciate you making the time this afternoon. Uh, I wish you all the best this season, and I'm excited to see uh, what you've got going and building off last year's championship and uh, 40 games. I expect nothing less, Coach. And uh, we'll have to check back in again soon.
3: Absolutely, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me, and thank you for the what you're doing for college, you know, sports and college baseball in general. So. Hopefully we'll stay in touch and then you'll see, you know, uh, us uh, trying to go after this, uh, this championship again.
1: Absolutely. Good luck, coach. Talk to you soon. All
3: right. Thank you.